0: And from thence he arose, that's Jesus, and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hidden. For a certain woman whose young daughter had a demon, an unclean spirit, heard of it and came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And in Matthew, he says, your faith is amazing. For this they saying, go thy way. The devil is gone out of your daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out. And her daughter upon the bed. A little boy folds his hands in the back seat of the car and quietly prays. Lord, help me find my toy. And you smile. And that's nice. You say to yourself, I'm teaching my children to pray and my child is taking it seriously. And you know in your heart that God could answer his prayer. But if he doesn't, You can always buy him a new toy. And that's the problem, the modern problem with prayer. It's one of degrees. If you pray for things like a lost toy, you hope God answers your prayer in the affirmative, but it really doesn't matter to you if he doesn't. You pray that God will help you get that car you'd like to have, but if he doesn't answer, it's okay. There are other cars on the lot. You pray for the doctor to, to do a good job in surgery, but let's face it, you kind of expect that he will, or you really wouldn't let him touch you with a knife. You pray for God to give you traveling mercies, but how many of us leave our home expecting to die in a fiery crash? But if you pray for big things, where life is riding on the line, Well, then it matters. And you dare not hope that he answers your prayer because you fear first feeling rejected or worse, losing your faith that God is able or willing to help you in your hour of need. And this is the problem. We readily pray for things that don't matter very much to us, And dare not pray for those that do matter much to us. Now let me add a few caveats to that statement. Some of our prayers are conditional on the actions of others. So we pray for God to save someone. We know that we're really praying for the Lord to again open his heart, reveal himself to him, and we hope that he responds in faith. But it really is conditional on his response to God. We also pray for God's will to be done. That's a condition that must be met. And that means some of our prayers are going to be answered differently from the way we desire. And if we pray for things that God does not will for us, sinful or selfish things, well, then we shouldn't expect him to answer those prayers. In fact, we should hope that he would not answer those prayers. But then we go too far. Because we think our answer, the answers to our prayers are ultimately predetermined to the extent that they will happen, whether we ask or not. And that is not faith, ladies and gentlemen, we call that fatalism. And here's what goes to our mind: God is going to do what he's going to do, he is sovereign over everything. The whole world is in his control. He already knows the end from the beginning. And those are all true statements, are they not? Theologically, they're true. But they run the risk of voiding a bunch of teaching on scripture, in scripture, on prayer. Because we are commanded to pray. Commit yourself to pray, Colossians 4.2. Pray continually, First Thessalonians 5.17. Be faithful in prayer, Romans 12.12. 12. Be alert and sober-minded so that you pray. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. We're not only commanded to pray, we're encouraged to pray. The Lord is near to those who call upon him. We just heard that read, Psalm 145, verse 18. Present your request to God, Philippians 4, 6. Come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews four sixteen. And about prayer, we are promised... I will do whatever you ask in Jesus' name, John fourteen thirteen. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer, Matthew twenty one twenty two. And this is the confidence we have: if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. First John five fourteen. And these are just a few of the hundreds, literally hundreds of verses on prayer in the Bible. Prayer is so common, so often mentioned in Scripture and explained that we could say prayer is one of the major themes of Scripture. And yet we are often too hung up on it. We pray, but not expectantly. Let me put this into a modern context. Joan is concerned because her daughter is sick and it's getting worse. She's been to three doctors and no one can figure out what's going on. In, in fact... One of the doctors told her it was all in her daughter's head. You ever had that one thrown at you? Just in your head. She's getting concerned, so she mentioned it at her church's prayer meeting. Please pray for Riley. She's having some medical issues, and we can't figure it out. And It's really concerning me. Joan leaves church that night happy. People are praying for Riley. But what does she expect to happen now? God is going to do what he's going to do. He's sovereign over everything. The whole world is in his control. He already knows the end from the beginning. So what is he going to do? All of those things are true, right? Remember, they're true. But then we also have the Lord is near to those who call on him and present your requests to God. And we have, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. And this is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Is that only for spiritual things? Or is it for anything? Does that include Joan's concerns for her daughter Riley? Actually, we probably need to learn to pray a little more like the little boy. Asking God for help in finding his toy. Because we need to pray expectantly. Number one, prayer includes bringing our petitions to God. We know that God is near. We know that. Jesus, he entered into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and came into a house. He didn't want anybody to know it. He didn't wanna be mobbed, but he couldn't be hidden. And a woman, this young, who had a young daughter, demon-possessed, heard of it and came and fell at his feet. I don't know if you've ever thought about the connections here between this story and the life of Elijah in the Old Testament. The location of where Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon is nearby the ministry that Elijah had to a widow in Zarephath. The woman in the story here and the widow in the story in First Kings is quite similar. Both have a child. Both are in great need. The widow woman in the Old Testament needed food. This woman needs spiritual help because a demon is possessing her daughter. And the woman learns that Jesus is in the vicinity and determines to find him. And I think here we have then a sense in which we, when we talk about prayer, we talk about going out and finding God. This story is about prayer. When, when you ask God for something, what do you call that? And if this woman asks Jesus for something, what do you call that? If Jesus is God, we believe that. She's, she's really, truly praying. She's bringing her petitions to God. And, and while we know that God is near in this story, because Jesus is near, what, what does this woman know? That, that uh, someone who heals people is close by. And I need to run to him. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what prayer is. Prayer is going out and finding God. I believe, this has crossed my mind earlier in the week, and I believe it's true. We are the closest to God when we pray. And what does it say about us when we, I hate to say the word loathe, but when we don't like prayer. What does it say about us? When we avoid prayer meetings, times of prayer, or if we never pray, are we never close to God? He, you know, we we have to realize the, the the Christian world is longing to draw closer to God. At least they say that's true. And I think in a sense, we say that ourselves. We long to draw closer to God. We want to be near him. And if prayer is the means by which we draw the closest to God, there's actual conversation taking place where I am speaking and the God of the universe is actually listening to me. Either we don't believe that or there is something wrong in our hearts that we don't want it. And, and really what you have to ask yourself, the question is, why is it if we want to be near him that we do not pray as we should? Because we know, this is letter B, we know he hears our prayers. The woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him. There's the prayer word. She besought that he would cast the devil out of her daughter. And the term besought gives us a hint that this is like prayer. She's asking for something, requesting something. This is petition. And it's the kind of petition that someone prays about. My daughter is demon possessed. I can't think of anything worse for a parent than that one statement. If you had a daughter who was demon possessed, wouldn't you pray about it? If you knew it was demon possession, wouldn't you actually pray and bring that to God? I would. We'd probably have a special prayer meeting just for you and your family. If we actually drew to that conclusion. I can't even imagine the burden on the heart of this woman. The desire that her child would be right and there's nothing she can do. There's nowhere she can go. There's no answer in her culture. Not in education, not in the elites. Where do we go? Government doesn't have a solution for this. What do we do? And then she hears God is near. And she now brings herself and she throws herself at his feet. That's prayer. Pleading with the Lord to answer. Now, there are some differences between the way we pray and the way this woman prays. Theologically, we're confident when we pray. We are praying to God. This woman doesn't have that confidence at first, necessarily. We're also confident that there is a basis on the which God hears our prayers, right? On Jesus' name, we come in, in the place of Jesus to the Father. The woman doesn't have that confidence, but we do. And with that added confidence, we have fewer excuses for why we don't pray as we should. I was recently teaching a counseling class. You know this over in the Philippines. And um, I said to them, as we were starting the class near the beginning, there sometimes there's a pastor answer and sometimes there's a counseling answer. And I asked people, what do you want? The pastor answer, or the counseling answer. And then it they, they piques their interest. What's the pastor answer? You know, I've read many books on counseling. Do you know what I've never read in any of them? This question. Have you prayed about it? That's the pastor answer. Have you prayed about it? Somebody walks into my office. Pastor, I have a question for you. I need to get some guidance. Wonderful. I'm here to help. I will help anybody any way I can. That's my job, right? Shepherd of the sheep. I take off, my, take off my jacket, throw on my shepherd's outfit, <coughs> grab my staff, throw some dirt on my head. I'm ready. Bring it on. I'm ready to listen. And then out comes this pretty complex question. Have you prayed about it? Did you take it to the Lord in prayer? Do, do you know that I respond to a lot of people that way? Maybe you've heard me say that to you. Do you know what I find? of the time, they don't come back. Do you know why? They pray about it and God answers their question. God answers their prayer. The solution is, I don't need a Swami. I I, I don't need a Svengali. I don't don't need some sort of rabbi or priest to somehow be a go-between between me and the Father. I go directly to Him in prayer. And I bring all of my petitions Not being anxious about them, but in supplication with thanksgiving, I let my requests be made known unto God. I just lay them at his feet. Lord, this is my prayer request. Now, just as we're bringing our petitions to God by prayer, there is some tension in how we approach him. There's a little tension here. And this is number two there is tension in our prayerful approach to God. Because we have no inherent standing before him. Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first. It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. So we come begging like the dogs. That's how we approach God. We approach him with supplication, the supplicant begging God for help. Lord, I need help in my marriage. Lord, I'm desperately, I need help with my children. Lord, I need help with my coworker because there's an animosity building in his heart and I can see that and I don't know how to respond to that, Lord. I need help with this temptation. I'm not getting past it and I'm afraid it's becoming an addiction. Lord, help me with this. We bring our petitions to God. We lay them at his feet and you say, how can I even do that? This woman, Jesus calls her a dog. <laughs> Unless you think there's some kind of nice way, which you're just saying you're a puppy. <laughs> you're a cute little puppy. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's calling her a dog. And in the Gentile world, that's pretty insulting. You're just a dog. And I think he's laying out a little bit of a trap to reveal... In her, what's really there. Are you really willing to come to me with this request? How many people would have been, just said, okay, fine, call me a dog. I heard you could help, but apparently not. I would have walked away. So he calls her a dog. She's going to have a hurdle now to overcome, to believe in Jesus. She knows there's a disconnect between Jews and Gentiles And this Jesus is a Jewish man, and he highlights, you have no standing to ask this request of me. She's not one of God's children in the Jewish sense. She doesn't have a relationship with God as far as we can tell. It's not there. And Jesus is saying, there is no reason I have to answer your request. And I think probably that tension is still here. Do you know if I come on my own merits, I have no standing before the Lord. I come as a dog. I'm a Gentile dog. You are too. Before you think I'm insulting just myself, I'm insulting all of us. Unless you're Jewish in here, we're all Gentile dogs. So there you go. Some of you, I know you're dogs. I know you're Gentiles. I can tell by your coloring that you're a Gentile. Uh, maybe some of you do have Jewish blood, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever had a Jewish person as a member of our church with a true Jewish background. But if not, we're all Japhethites, Hamites. We're dogs. A few of us might be Shemites, but not going back through Abraham. We're dogs. We can't come to the Lord. He's not our Lord, is he? Is he? And that really is the crux of this. Because while we deserve nothing from God, without Christ we're no different from this Greek woman. We're not Jewish. We have no standing in God apart from Jesus. And in that sense, we take our place among the dogs. I deserve nothing from him at all. Listen, being an American doesn't make you a more godly person. There's nothing godly about Americanism or capitalism. Or our heritage it means nothing. Truly, it means nothing. We're not going to go to heaven and sing, there's a grand old flag, a high-flying flag, right? And, 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 you know, it didn't occur to me until a few years ago. I am embarrassed to say this. That the last stanza of, of my military branch is him. It's just a wee bit blasphemous. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are not a lot of Marines guarding the streets of gold, okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, trust me, that's a fact. If they're guarding the streets of any place in the next life, not the streets of gold. You get what I'm saying? These are not godly people. There's nothing good about that. The faith of others means nothing. Church membership means nothing. In the sense that I have standing before God. I stand on this one truth. I am in Christ. And that leads us to letter B. We have standing before God in Christ. So she says to him, Yes, Lord, but the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Okay, okay. I come to God begging like the dogs, but I eat. I eat a feast like the children, because I am one of his children. I do have standing. I could come boldly to the throne of grace and ask for mercy and grace to help in time of need. And by the way, in Hebrews 4.16, the need is that I would not drift back into my old doctrinal way of thinking about God. I wouldn't slide away from what I believe to be true about the gospel, but I would remain true in my Christian faith. So I have need because the pressure of the world, the culture is dragging me away from God. So I run to him and say, Lord, help me not lose my faith in you. And we get more than just crumbs. The children are filled first, that's us. We eat the best of God's bounty. Friends, this teaches us how we approach God in prayer. We come as beggars and we feast as children. I pray, Lord, I need your help. And I beg, please help me. But then what do I expect? If I ask him for fish, will he give me a snake? If I ask him for bread, will he give me a stone? No. He loves me. I am his, we say. He is mine. That's what makes earth around seem brighter and fairer. Especially sometimes when in the ugliest places on earth. Because I come to him as a prince and princess, respectively, you understand. We come to him as one of his. And now the requests mean more. Old Esther, she came fearfully, trembling. If I bring this peti- petition before to I and mean, he does not raise his scepter, I'm going to lose my head. Well, she didn't lose her head, did she? But I have no such fear. I come and I say, Lord, I need your help. And I expect him to help. And this tension is resolved in Jesus. And as we are in him, then we pray expectantly. We pray expecting him to act. He is able to perform everything that we ask, whatever it is, He says, go your way. The devil is going out of your daughter. Jesus has creative power. He is the one who could say, turn the lights on and the lights come on. right? Because he's the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. And if God can create this world by a word out of his mouth, he has authority over demons. He can say, be gone. And they're gone. He speaks a word and it is done. That's that's why Luther's hymn is such power. We don't live in a world where people are chasing us down to put us to the death in the most violent ways because of our faith. Luther lived in that world. And I know the pastor sitting behind me at a conference I told you about recently said Luther's hymn is a dirge. And I'm just thinking, friend, you're missing it. I know you want some modern tune, so it's a little snappier in your mind. But forget the tune, read the words. This world above all earthly powers. No thanks to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. So let good and kindreds go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And, and Satan, Satan may seem to have power in this world, but one little word shall fell him. And it's not a word I'm going to speak, Wayne Grudem. Okay, all you third wave charismatics, all you Pentecostals out there, right? It's not that I have power over Satan now and I can go casting out demons everywhere I go. I don't need that power. God has that power. And God will cast out those demons before us if that's his will, if that's his desire. He can say, go your way. It's done. That's what Jesus can do. He has the power to perform whatever it is we ask. And his compassion on us is to our benefit. She comes to her house. The devil is gone. Her daughter is on the bed. And the woman discovers that Jesus can be taken at his word. You ever wonder how Mark even got this story? The last part of the story we're told as an editorial. But Jesus isn't there. The disciples aren't even there. Somewhere this story got back to the disciples because Peter tells it to Mark. Mark writes it down. Mark includes this edit- editorial comment after because Jesus is not there. And apparently there are witnesses who share this information later on. And this woman learned something powerful. God loves even me. This a Gentile woman, Jesus loves even me. I, I wonder if she became one of the saints in one of the churches there in, in that area of the world north of Israel. Do you think she was? I don't know. I, I kind of wonder. I kind of think maybe. Boy, she learned to love Jesus. She probably thought of him as a, I have a debt I can't even repay. How many of us have that same feeling? The mission of Jesus isn't to one people group. We learn that God loves everyone here. His mission is to rescue the planet from Satan and sin. And so we say, we can come as Gentile people to God in prayer on the basis of Jesus and say, here is what my request is. And we expect him to act. We take all those caveats in mind. We understand he's in control of everything and he's going to act in accordance to his will. And we have to pray in accordance to his will. I was in a class and a professor was telling a story about a class that he had been in years before. So this is a secondhand story. But he said, when I was a young seminary student, I was in a class and there was a student praying for a car. And we were all met. We decided to meet early to pray for a car for our seminary student, for for this one student. We were all going to gather together and pray. And so we were meeting before class and we're in prayer and the professor walks in. And he says, what are you all doing? Well, we're praying because brother here, he needs a car. And um, we're just praying God will provide him a car. Well, what are you? how are you praying for a car? And they told him, he said, no, you're doing it all wrong. What kind of car do you want, young man? What color? Um, blue. Okay. What kind of car do you want? What would you really like to have? And after some hemming and hawing, he came up with Cadillac. You want a relatively new Cadillac? Oh, I'd love to have a brand new blue Cadillac. Well, that's how we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God gives you a brand new blue Cadillac. Now, is that is that a prayer we should be praying? I'm sitting there going, no. No. You can pray, Lord, it'd be really nice if it'd be your will for me to get a brand new blue Cadillac. I have no problem with it. But obviously I'm praying according to his will. And his will may not be a brand new blue Cadillac. It may be a really bad, junky, orange Datsun. And they don't even make those anymore. They changed their name to Nissan a long time ago. And and how do you think the guy feels if God doesn't provide a blue Cadillac? Well, this isn't what God provided. He's going to feel terrible. God didn't answer my prayer. Or he only answered it halfway, no. I say, Lord, it's according to your will. I pray, Lord, we'd love to have grandma get better according to your will. But we know someday grandma's going to die if Jesus doesn't return. We know that. We, Lord, it'd be great if grandma had some more years with us. All the grandmas in here are going, yes, <laughs> would be nice. Amen. Preach it. Right? That's how we feel. But We know it's in accordance to his will. Grandma gets sick. She has a life-threatening illness. We go to the Lord in prayer in the hospital room. Lord, we don't know what your plan is. It'd be our desire that, that mom gets better. That's our heart. And maybe mom does get better. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. But maybe mom goes to be with Jesus. Still praise God, from whom all blessings flow. But I pray expecting God to answer in accordance to his will. And I expect it. And I don't doubt it. And I don't scratch my head. And I don't wonder, is he hearing me? Is he listening? Does he care? I don't wonder any of that. Because he tells me in his word that when I bring it to him in prayer as a beggar with thanksgiving, and I give him my request to him, he gives me peace in response. It guards my heart. And so I pray expectantly for my family. Protect my children. Be with my wife. I pray for the health of all of us. Keep us healthy. Keep us strong. Did you know I'm a little macabre? You knew that, didn't you? I think about death. I I should wear black all the time. It doesn't bother me. I'm kind of joyful about it. Really? I mean, because we're all going to die. You didn't realize that? I, could, I think it was 10 years old when I finally figured that out. Wait. You know, eventually we have your funeral. It's going to happen. I'm a little, I'm a little macabre. I, I, I just admit to that. And you know what I think about sometimes is if I live long enough, and if I pass through here long enough, eventually I'm going to perform a whole bunch of funerals for a bunch of people I've known for a long time. And I was thinking, I'm going to go to a different church. I don't want to have to go through that. It'll be nice to hear, get a phone call, oh, so-and-so died. And I'll say to Becky, honey, so-and-so died. And she'll go, oh, that's so sad, but we'll be somewhere else. So we will, you know, it happens. And just, right? Can't get away from family, but you know, you can do that with everyone else and, yeah. You start thinking about that. So you pray for health. Keep everybody healthy, Lord. What about the salvation of family and friends? The little boy prays for his lost toy because it's important to him. And he prays in childlike faith, seeking God to answer. He prays expectantly. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words today. Help us Lord to be people who pray with expectation. We repent of all the times we prayed with no expectation. Help us to pray right. before I I pray and finish this prayer, you're here this morning to say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to have faith when I pray. And just honestly, either you haven't been praying, you say, I haven't been praying like I should be, or I haven't been praying in faith, expecting God to act on my behalf. And I know there are some of you like that because I know that what's in my own heart. I know what's in my own heart. If you're here this morning, say, Pastor, pray for me. Because God is dealing with me about this issue. I'd love to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand? Anybody at all? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I'll pray for you. I will pray for you. Yes, sir. I'll pray for you. Yes, ma'am. I'll pray for you. Lord, you see our hearts. You know where we're at. Some of us are carrying heavy burdens. They're so heavy and weighty. We ask you, Lord, to answer these prayers in accordance with your will. Help us to be satisfied with your will. And continue to teach us to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to our feet. Pianist will play a hymn of invitation. After she's done playing, I'm going to ask Don Covel if he'd close in prayer.